Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, Book 3, Chapter 46, on putting our trust in God when others make stinging remarks. The Beloved, stand your ground, son, and trust in me. What are words after all? Only words. They hurtle through the air, but they can't as much as scratch a stone. If you have done wrong, think how willingly you would turn over a new leaf. If your conscience is clear, Make up your mind to endure this for Christ's sake. It's not so much to put up with. A few unpleasant remarks now and then. If you're not able to bear a sound thrashing. If you take such little things so much to heart. It's because you're still a worldly man. And mind what people say much more than you should. You are anxious not to be looked down on, so you dislike being rebuked for your faults and tried to hide behind a screen of excuses. Take a better look at yourself and you will admit that worldly ideas are still very much alive in you, that you still have a senseless desire to please people. When you shrink from being put in your place and reprimanded for your faults, it's quite clear that you are not really humble not really dead to the world, nor does the world stand crucified to you. Only listen to the words I speak, and you will not mind, even if men speak 10,000 words against you. Put it this way. Suppose people made up the most malicious accusations against you they could think of. What harm could they do if you just let them go by you? not taking the smallest bit of notice. Do you think they could as much as remove a single hair from your head? A man who lets his heart wander where it likes, a man whose gaze is not fixed on God, is easily put out by a word of rebuke. But the man who trusts in me and has no wish to stand by his own judgment will dread no man. That is because I am the one who judges who knows all secrets. I see in what way a thing has been done. I know both him who does wrong to another and him who suffers that wrong. It is from me that he draws the power to act so. It is by my permission that it happens in that way that the thoughts of many hearts may be made manifest. I will judge the guilty and the innocent, but first I wish to try them in my own secret court of justice. What men say in evidence is often untrue. My verdict is a true one, which shall stand and not be set aside. It is hidden for the most part, though some may catch a glimpse of certain clauses in it. It never makes a mistake, never can, though unthinking people may imagine it seems unfair. So when you need a decision on some disputed question, have recourse to me and do not let your personal views have any weight with you. A man of good life will not be disquieted 
whatever comes to him from the hand of God. Even though a false charge is laid at his door, it will not worry him very much. On the other, if others duly acquit him, he will not make it an occasion for senseless rejoicing. That is because he is well aware that it is I who search men's hearts and inner motives. My verdict does not go by the face of things, by the way things look to men. From my point of view, something is often to be condemned, though as men see it, it earns their approval. The learner. Lord God, you who are you who as a judge are just, patient, and strong, you who know the frailty and crookedness of men, I ask you to be my strength, that I may put complete trust in you. My conscience by itself is not enough. You know what I know not. That should have made me humble myself whenever I was reprimanded made me meekly bear the reproof. Be merciful. Forgive me for all the times I have failed to act in that way. Give me grace once more to endure things for longer than I have. The flood of your mercy will better avail me if I would be pardoned than my protestation of innocence will be echoed by my inmost conscience. I may not be conscious of any fault, but that is no reason for complacency. If you withhold your mercy, what man is there living that can stand guiltless in your presence? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thomas Akempis speaks, especially in the beginning of this chapter, to those who struggle with vainglory. Yes, he doesn't use the word vainglory, but he uses the language of desiring to please people. And he calls it senseless, meaningless, empty, pointless. And that's what the word vain means when we talk about vainglory. It's senseless, meaningless, desiring for the pleasing of other people. Now, we know that Thomas Akempis is not opposed to pleasing people. But he is opposed to senseless desire to please people. And notice how subtle he is in his analysis of this vainglory. He takes something that's very painful, insulting words, stinging remarks. And he says that when people speak against us, A sign of our vainglory that's still lurking in our souls is the fact that we are so bothered by it. 
that we're bothered by what they say to us because we still care too much what people think. So what does he say to do? Well, first of all, he says, okay, take what they say and look into your conscience. And if you've done wrong and they're right in their criticism, well, then turn, you want to turn over a new leaf. Fine. Correct the wise men, this proverb says, and he'll love you. Okay, actually, this person's kind of right. Yeah, huh. All right. Well, I want to, I don't, I don't want to be like that anymore. And in some ways, what does it matter if this person has told it to me? Maybe I need needed to hear that somehow. And of course, I know that everything that happens is somehow allowed by God. So okay, let me let me try to make use of that. Now, again, that's not easy, but that's what he's trying to tell us. Now, if you look into your conscience and the person has told you, for example, oh, you're so arrogant. And you look into your conscience and you talk to your good friend, you talk to your spouse, and those you trust say, no, that's an unfair criticism. Well, make up your mind to endure this for God's sake. In other words, Lord, you've allowed this to happen. You allowed people to speak against your son. And so for your sake, for the love of you, I will endure what this person's saying. And he says, look, and in the end, it's not that much to put up with few unpleasant remarks. Few unpleasant remarks. But what do we often do? We start making excuses, he says. We hide behind a screen of excuses. Why? Because we dislike being rebuked for our faults. We're too anxious of being looked down upon. And we're so afraid of being looked down upon that we start making excuses. We start blaming. We start doing this. We start trying to make it seem like we're not so bad. And what's our Lord telling us in tonight's reading? Don't worry so much. Relax. Relax. Who cares if this person thinks badly of you? If I, Jesus, don't think badly of you, if I'm pleased with you, why is that not enough? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.